So Micah, Micah chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord cries to the city and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father God, Speak now that we might learn how we are to to live and to please you. Help us to hear the message of the the saving gospel this morning. Help us to see and to hear Christ. By your spirit, equip us to respond in faith, in hope, and in love. Amen. Does it really matter how we we live our lives? Is Is there a right way to live? In popular culture, there's quite a lot of answers out there. Um, you know, do whatever feels right. Um, do whatever you want, just, just as long as you don't hurt anybody. Or, or you know, do what you want, just don't get caught. Or you even hear people saying that there's no such thing as right and wrong. Uh, just st- stop worrying, enjoy your life. That's, that's all you need to know. Uh, the way people live their lives then suddenly becomes uh, defined and dictated by uh, cultural norms and what others expect of us. Uh, personal, personal preferences or, or, or simply just what's convenient in the moment. Well, as Christians, we, we, need, we need to ask ourselves not so much what, what are other people saying, but what does God say about how we are to live our lives? 
Uh, this morning we've been, we've been singing in some of our songs, we've been singing about how we're, we're ready to do the Lord's will. Um, how uh, we, we, God has saved us to, to, to live a certain way. If you're with us this morning as we thought about God's holiness, we thought about how we've been saved to be a, a holy people. So, so the question we're asking this morning is, how does God want us as Christians to live our lives? What does it look like to live as someone who's been uh, forgiven by such a, such a gracious, such a, such a just, such a kind God? What does it look like uh, to, to live uh, uh, the forgiven life? Now, the Bible answered that question in a lot of different ways, um, often holding up examples of, of men and women of faith um, and say, this is the way you should live. Um, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is, is our ultimate example, um, the, the perfect man who, who knew no sin. Well, well, in Micah 6, we're being shown something different. Rather than seeing a positive example of the way we are to live, we're being shown a way uh, we shouldn't live, a, a negative example. And... Um, here we find the, the nation of Israel um, being dragged to court, so to speak, uh, to stand trial for neglecting to live as God's saved people. God's an indictment against them. He wants to contend with them and accuse them of not living up to their namesake. And it's, it's as if we're all sitting in the public gallery of, of said court uh, watching this trial take place. And God wants to show us from Micah 6 uh, where Israel went wrong so that, that we'd all learn how, how we're supposed to live our lives in in light of the gospel, in light of what God's done for us. Uh, so, so we learn to, to live our lives in a way that pleases him, in a way that is summed up in verse 8 uh, as doing justice, uh, loving kindness, and walking humbly uh, with our God. From Micah 6, we're, we're going to see uh, that living the saved life, it involves, first of all, coming back to the gospel. It involves following what God actually commands of us, uh, and then and remembering uh, what we've been saved from Think about these things is going to help us uh, to know what it looks like to live the Christian life. So first, uh, let's go back to Micah 6. Let's look at the first five verses to see uh, that living uh, the, the saved life, the forgiven life, it first of all involves coming back and remembering the gospel, coming back to the gospel. In these verses, we see how Israel had failed to remember uh, all the wonderful things that God had done for them. Uh, from verse 3, it's as if God himself, he takes the witness stand uh, to, to accuse and convict uh, Israel. He, he speaks of all the different ways he's shown uh, steadfast love and faithfulness uh, to them over the many years he'd been their God. Uh, all in order, verse 5, uh, that they may know the saving acts of the Lord. Uh, to know his saving acts, it, it meant more than simply just understanding them, being, being aware that they happened. In, in the Bible, to, to know something often means to know it um, more intimately, more emotionally and experientially. Um, to, to, kind of, to use a silly example, um, can, can someone give me an example of one of their favorite foods? Kids, what, what's, your, what's your favorite food? What's the, the thing you enjoy eating the most? Anything? Well, well my, mine's, I, I really like pizza. I, I'm, I'm, I really like pizza. My, uh, and I, I, I don't want to toot my own home, but I, I think I make quite a good homemade pizza. Um, uh, and uh, if, if my wife were to tell you that she knows um, I make a good pizza, it's not simply that I've, I've told her um, I make a good pizza, but it's that she's, she's, she's tasted it for herself. She, she knows it because she's, she's eaten it, she's enjoyed it. Um, now, you, she might not actually think that, but I, I think I'm a good pizza. But, um, but she, she knows I'm a good cook because she's, she's enjoyed it, she's experienced that cooking. That, that's, what, that's, that's what she means when she says she knows um, that. So here, here in verse 5, to, to know... 
uh, God's saving act. It was more than just knowing that God did something at one point. It was to live a life that enjoyed um, bringing to mind those saving acts, that actually experienced the power of those saving acts in their day-to-day life. It was to trust and delight in them. And as we'll see, it was to be changed and shaped by them. In verse 4, God recalls how that he, he, he rescued uh, Israel uh, from the slavery in Egypt. Um, kids, I wonder if you can tell me, do you remember how God had saved the Israelites from Egypt? Any of the things that God had done? Go on. The ten plagues, yes. Yeah, so he, he unleashed some ten plagues against their, uh, those who, who had kept them in slavery. That's right, yep. Yeah. Um, and you remember that he, he brought them across the Red Sea as well and brought them all the way to the wilderness. He rescued them from Egypt uh, by punishing those who were um, oppressing them and then freed them and brought them out with many signs and miracles and, and wonders. And, and as he did that, he provided them uh, with leaders. He didn't just abandon them once he rescued them. He gave them Moses, Miriam, Aaron. And in verse 5, he, he brought them all the way from Egypt through the wilderness. And despite many obstacles, trials and mistakes on their parts, he brought them all the way to the land he promised to bring them. He even protected them against this chap, uh, the, the schemes of this guy called uh, Balak. Now, now Balak, he was the, the king of a land called Moab. Um, it, it, it was a land that bordered Israel's new home. Now, he was terrified that this, this, this new nation, there were millions of them, he was terrified that his new neighbors might invade his country. So he, he went to this, this prophet, a prophet named Balaam, and tried to pay him loads of money to get, to get God to curse them. Now, that sounds a bit odd for, to us today. We don't often go around trying to pay people to, to, curse, to curse people. Uh, but this, this was a serious spiritual attack. You see, Israel's other enemies, all the people they had met and tried to stop them, they, they just simply tried to fight them. And they went out with the sword to, to stop them. But Balak, he'd seen that that hadn't worked. He wanted to attack, uh, their, their, he wanted to target their source of strength, the thing that made Israel uh, Israel. He wanted to attack their relationship with God. You see, if the Israelites lost that, Balak, he thought, I could completely destroy them. You could almost say he was acting like a, a spiritual supervillain in that sense. At least that's, that's the way we're supposed to read it in the story. Yet Balaam, the prophet, he refused. He, he actually said, behold, I have received the command to bless. God is, God is blessed and I cannot revoke it. The Lord, their God, is with them. Uh, blessed are those who bless them and cursed are those who curse them. It's almost as if God had made the Israelites bulletproof. In short, the whole, the whole history of God rescuing Israel uh, out of Egypt and looking after them, it was, it was nothing short of his constant blessing, provision, and protection. Uh, if, they'd, if Israel only remembered and cherished this, this rich history, Israel would have been well on their way to, to living uh, God's way. Uh, but instead, if you look back at verse 3, Israel become wearied. In other words, they'd, they'd grown bored and frustrated with God. They had no, no love for him. They had no love for his ways. They, they considered his, his word, uh, his worship, just a burden. It's as if any mention of God, it just made them groan and just roll their eyes. <coughs> Israel's example shows us that, that it's, it's possible uh, even for us to, to grow weary of the gospel. I, I wonder if, if you ever wake up on Sunday mornings and you just, just can't be bothered to go to church. Or, or you, know, you think, is it really necessary to go every week? Does prayer often feel like, like a burden? 
And do you, ever, do you ever find yourselves thinking of God's commands that they're too, they're just too difficult, they're, they're, they're too out of date, too extreme? If so, I, th- I think you're, you're in good company because I think we can all think like that sometimes. Especially when, when life gets busy, when, when life gets complicated. And I think what these verses here are trying to tell us is that when we find ourselves thinking like Israel, when we, when we notice that we're, we're growing weary of the gospel, we're growing weary of God, we actually need to come back and remember uh, what the gospel is. We need to come back and ask God for God's help and, and seek his forgiveness. You see, only, it's only as we, as we bring to mind what God has done for us, as we, as we, as we feast on his kindness, so to speak, that we're going to find a delight once again in him. We're going to find the strength to, to obey and live his way. Uh, we know by nature that we, we're, not, we're not good people. We needed God to, to forgive us our sins and save us from what they deserve. It's only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we can actually be forgiven. Only by his resurrection have we received new lives to live his way. Only by the help of his spirit can we, can we follow the, the example Christ gives us. Our faith in the gospel is what's made us, made us Christian and it's by going back to the gospel that's going to keep us Christian, keep us from drifting away, keep us from um, um, growing weary and getting cold hearts. <clears throat> uh, living the saved life, it, it involves coming back to the gospel um, to, be, to, be, to be motivated, to, to be uh, equipped to, to live for God. So we then need to begin to ask, well, okay, if I need to go back to the gospel and the gospel is going to equip me to live for God, what, what, is, what does it look like to live for God? Um, put simply, what, what God was convicting the Israelites of, um, uh, to live God's ways to keep his commands, and Israel hadn't been doing that. Now, this may sound obvious, but if we neglect to, if we neglect to listen to the gospel, we're not going to hear it, how it's been shaping our lives. Uh, that's exactly what had gone wrong with Israel. In, in verses 6 to 7, we we're, we're, we're find ourselves back in the courtroom. Uh, Israel is now in the witness box. Um, and, and at first, she, she comes across as quite, quite pious, quite religious, doesn't she? Um, these are extravagant offerings. These, these are gifts of kings, thousands of rams, tens of thousands of rivers of oil. Uh, if, she, if she could give the crown jewels, I'm sure she would. But then at the end of verse 7, her, her devotion, it takes, it takes a nasty turn. Did you notice that? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I'm just wondering, how many people in this room are the firstborn in their family? How many firstborn have we got? Okay, bad luck. If, if your parents were the Israelites, they'd be, they'd be offering you up to be, to be taken up, to be sacrificed, to, to atone for their sins. It's, it's horrific. Now, the sacrifice of children, it was, it was a common practice in, in a lot of the pagan religions around Israel. Um, and God, he absolutely detested it. And if Israel had spent any time actually listening to, going back to the gospel, hearing God's word, they, they would have known this. The very fact that they offer this gift, it just, just shows that her, her worship, um, her, her attempt, to, her, her request for forgiveness is completely disingenuous. She wasn't interested in honoring God, and nor was she interested in actually obeying his word. Uh, the rest of chapter 6 even highlights to us that she wasn't that even sorry. She wasn't sorry for her sins. She just wanted to kind of get God off her back. That's why she was offering these sacrifices. If you look down to, to verses 10 to 11, we find, we find the nation being caught red-handed in unrepentant sin. 
the markets across the nation were, were full of uh, what we're told scant measures, wicked scales and deceitful weights. Uh, this, this is like saying that when, when customers came to their shops, their tills, they, they'd lean on the scales um, so that they could charge more money. And they'd water down the wine and still sell it at a high price. And they'd swap the Tesco value label for the, the Tesco finest. Um, at verse 12, you'll see that uh, the rich men were full of violence. But not just the rich, but, but all the inhabitants of the land. They all speak lies. And their tongues were deceitful in their mouths. The, na- the whole nation of Israel, from top to bottom, it was kill or be killed, rob or be robbed, cheat or be cheated. From the fat cats down to the shelf stackers, the whole nation uh, was corrupt. And this is hardly a nation that could be described as, as knowing the saving acts of her God. A nation that valued them, a nation that loved them, a nation that lived in light of them. Having neglected God's faithfulness towards her, she was completely neglecting any semblance of faithfulness towards God. Having dismissed God's compassion towards them, (coughs) they were uh, dismissing being compassionate to one another. Rather than doing what God commanded, Israel uh, had been and was doing completely the opposite. She wasn't listening to the gospel, so she she wasn't hearing how she should live. So so in a rebuke to their, their, their godless gestures, and Mike declares in verse 8, God has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? God has shown nothing but, but justice and kindness towards Israel, all in order that they would show justice and kindness uh, to one another. As if he was going to be happy with them bringing these sacrifices to him when they were off uh, committing all these sins and sins in abandon. He, he had saved them in a particular way uh, that was then to be the model for how they should live and they just weren't living that way. They didn't care for God, God's ways or God's salvation so they weren't caring to live for him. Now I think it's worth pausing just to clarify that verse 8, it's not explaining how a person can get forgiveness, how a person can be forgiven. Um, kids, I'm wondering, how, how, does somebody, how, does, how does someone get forgiveness? How do you get forgiven? Can anyone tell us? How, how does a person get forgiven? Phil, Phil is one of those Sunday school, situation, Sunday school answer situations. The answer is trust in Jesus. Okay, it's, it's simple as that. If you want to get forgiven, you trust in Jesus. And no one really wants to say the wrong answer at church. How do you get forgiven? You get any problem. But no, it's really simple. You, you trust in Jesus. That, that's how, any, that's how anyone and everyone can be forgiven. It's the only way to be forgiven. So Mike is not trying to tell us here um, that we need to try and be a really good person to get forgiveness. That's not what he's doing. Rather, he's rebuking Israel's uh, godlessness uh, by reminding them what true godliness looks like. And I actually reckon, as as we think about it, um, what Mike says here is probably quite challenging for most of us. Because when someone becomes a Christian, I wonder, one of the first things we tell them, well, what does it look like to live the Christian life? I think, you know, we talk about you know, attending a weekly worship, going to church, getting stuck in the church, praying often, reading our Bibles, and sharing the gospel with those who aren't Christian. Now, these are all good and even necessary things. I'm, I'm not saying that that's not what we're to do, but I just wonder how, how quick are we to sit down with the, the new Christian and, and explain to them that, that living the Christian life involves doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly uh, with our God. 
It's definitely not on my top 10 things, or it wasn't. Um, it's a rebuke to me to, to read this. So it's worth stopping things. So what is, what, is, what is it to do justice, to love kindness, um, and to walk humbly with our God? Well, to do justice, it, it means to be actively supporting and promoting our neighbor's good. It, it's all about giving our fellow men what they deserve and what they need most. It's what Jesus talked about when he taught us to do to others what we would have uh, them to do to us. For this sums up the entire law and the prophets. Uh, just as the way God's salvation of Israel was their model for how they should live, so was the way God saved us to be a model for us. Think about it. Israel, they had sought their own personal gain at the expense of their brothers. That's what they were being accused of in this chapter. <clears throat> to do justice is, is rather to, to seek our brother's gain at our own personal expense. Uh, just as Christ sought our gain at his expense when he gave his life for ours. I guess from a, on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's be, being a listening ear at the end of a busy week. It, it's being a helping hand even when we're tired. It's opening up our homes and providing meals, providing a bed for those who need it. It's gracious, it's patient parenting. It's sacrificially giving our time and our energy for others. It's showing the same care and consideration to um, that the God has shown us. With God's help and in his name, uh, we're to be a people um, who do justice. <coughs> to, to, to love kindness then, that's, that's less of an activity um, so much, and more the attitude towards the activities. It's the delight that inspires and motivates the, the duty of justice in the Christian life. When it comes to living for God, how we do it is, is just as important as what we do. It's not simply serving, but happily serving. Not simply helping, but gladly helping. Not patience through gritted teeth, but, but, but loving patience. Not just giving, but, but eager giving. Now, it can, all, it can be too easy to, to resent being kind, but, but what we see here is that resentful kindness it isn't, isn't really kindness. Now, Jesus didn't resent dying for us. He died for us because he loved us. Uh, to walk humbly with our God, uh, that, that's, uh, to, to walk with, it, it's, a, it's a metaphor for the whole of life. We're to live our lives in a, in a constant fellowship with the God who saved us. Uh, and, and he, uh, this walking with him, is the source, of, the source of a love for kindness and a will for justice. It, it means a dependence on, 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 on who God is and how he draws near to us. A commitment to, to gathering on a Sunday to hear his word, to hear the gospel, uh, to worship his name. He's having a special regard for, for personal times of prayer and meditation throughout the week. And this will, this will, see it, this will uh, flow out into the way we live throughout the, throughout, uh, the rest of our week. Uh, when we're busy at work, um, when, when you know, the traffic lights get on our nerves on the way home, uh, when the kids are acting up uh, over dinner, or when, you know, when your, your mom or dad, they ask you to do something you don't understand why. Walking humbly with our God is, is in this moment seeking his help, realizing that we, we can't be good by ourselves, and going back to him when we mess up and confessing our faults and our failures. It's believing and knowing that, that God will, for, will forgive us and knowing that he'll help us to live his way. It's knowing that in all of God's righteous acts, he has acted justly towards us and loved to show kindness towards us, delighting in that. 
and asking God that, that he would use that, that knowledge, that, 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 that message to change and shape our lives that we might be like him. We remember that the cross of Christ, the ultimate act, the ultimate saving act God has done for us. God's perfect justice on display for all to see. His anger towards our sin poured out on our Savior. Rather than expecting us to give up our sons or daughters to the flame, God gave himself, God gave his son up to the cross because he loved us. He knew our greatest need, the need to be forgiven, to be rescued from the wrath to come. And he gave himself to die for us that we might be forgiven. Uh, let us by faith then in him and in his love, uh, in what he has done for us, in his saving acts, walk humbly with him, love kindness and do justice. Uh, of, of course, no Christian can claim to have done this perfectly, done justice perfectly, love kindness perfectly. The Bible teaches that no human being, uh, save one, uh, has ever lived perfectly uh, up to, to this standard. All of us are we're more naturally, we're, we're naturally more, uh, more like weary Israel than we care to admit. So we, we need to look to that one man who kept this perfectly, the Lord Jesus. He lived a just and kind life for us, died to forgive us our sins, uh, and rose to share that life with us. He's given us his spirit to help us follow his example. If, if you're like me and, and you feel convicted by this description of the holy life, well, come with me to Jesus. Find in him one who is both willing and able to forgive you your sins. Come with me to Jesus and find one willing and able to lead all who come to him in doing justice, in loving kindness and walking humbly with our gods, his father, and in him our father. Living the forgiven life, it involves following what God has commanded. And we need his help to do that. Thirdly, finally, and, and briefly, um, living the saved life, it involves remembering what we've been saved from. I've, I've, it's already been alluded to, but uh, remembering what we've been saved from, not simply what we've been saved for, but what we've been saved from, it, that, that ought to deepen our appreciation for God, uh, giving us a sense of gratitude that, that helps us to live for him. Uh, contrary to the weariness of Israel, um, where it's a sense of gratitude supposed to give us. Chapter six ends on a, on a rather somber note. As Israel's trial ends, the Lord passes sentence. Verse 13, Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. Their punishment was going to match their crime. Now they, they cheated one another out of food and drink, so verse 14, they were to eat but not be satisfied. Verse 15, they would sow but not reap. Tread olives but not anoint. Tread grapes but not drink wine. As they had abandoned the worship and laws of God, 4 verse 16, the, the idolatry of Omri and the house of Ahab. God was going to abandon Israel, make them a, a desolation, a hissing. You see, God is a holy God who must punish sin. He can't just ignore it. Sin is serious. And these verses show us that. He, he, he has to act against uh, their sin, just as, he, just as he must act against all sin. He's simply too good, too pure, too holy to ignore uh, the evil in the human heart. The evil we say, the evil we, we, we all harbor in our hearts. None of us can say that we are good with, without deceiving ourselves. We've all sought to live our lives independent of the God who, who lovingly created us. 
We, we've all in some way, in big ways and small ways, we've neglected to do justice towards our fellow man. We all deserve to face uh, the justice of God. To stand trial as Israel did. And be sentenced to that eternal punishment that Jesus called hell. Now all of us, we will die one day. And when we do, we're, we're going to stand trial before, before the God who made us. The God who, who knows all, who sees all. And the way we choose to live our life, it matters. It matters not, not just, just here and now, but it matters for eternity. And, and that's why we need to, uh, as Christians, we need to remember what we've been saved from. We need to remember what, what our sins deserve. Because it's only as we bring that to mind that we can appreciate how truly ex- and extraordinarily generous and gracious God has been towards us. We deserve an eternity uh, in hell. We are given an eternity in heaven. Eternity facing God's anger and instead an eternity receiving uh, God's blessing. And when Jesus gave himself for us uh, on the cross, he, he bore the full weight of God's anger at our sin on our behalf. And it's by, by his death that the, just, the justice towards our sin has been executed. The cross shows us how serious our sin is, just, just as this passage does. And, and by his death, just as justice has been executed, so our pardon has been secured. We who believe in him uh, are forgiven forever. We need, not only, uh, we need to hear not only what we've been saved for, lives of godliness, but, but also what we've been saved from. I think the application is simply to be thankful. To thank God, to praise him. God has spared us so much and given us so much more. Let us be a people who are, are thankfully walk with him as our God. As, as I end, um, <clears throat> let me say that if you're with us today and you're not yet trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these verses are a loving warning to you. A warning to you of where your life is heading apart from him. And he's calling on you to, to seek him, to find forgiveness. Then you might come to know him and know his salvation, know his saving acts. If you don't come to him now uh, by faith, uh, these verses they remind us that you're going to have to come before him eventually. Like Israel uh, in in court. Uh, please, if, if you're here just looking into Christianity, uh, don't let your investigation of Christianity uh, end uh, today. I know these, these topics are heavy and hard, uh, and you might find yourself strongly disagreeing with them. But if, you, if you're not yet ready to uh, put your trust in Jesus or feel there's still loads of questions that you need, you need answered, you feel you're, n- you're nowhere near convinced, um, you know, please, please stay around, share your concerns with us, talk to us. Um, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to um, uh, hear what you think of what we believe. And please do come back and join us uh, next week. Um, we, we, we all must put our trust in the Lord Jesus. The stakes couldn't be higher. Um, I'm going to pray now uh, and that, to ask God that he take what we've heard and uh, let it sink into our hearts. So uh, let's, let's pray. Our Father, God overall, God who sees all, 
our God who judges all. We, we come before you this morning as, as people who, like ancient Israel, have failed to do justice, have failed to, to love kindness, failed to, to walk humbly with you as our gods. Forgive us, uh, we pray. Forg- forgive us for, for growing weary, for going cold towards you and the glorious message of salvation in your Son. Warm our hearts with the gospel that we might be those who, who strive to live the lives you've saved us to live. We have no strength in ourselves. We, we need not only your forgiveness, but we need your help. Help us, we pray. By your Spirit, help us to love you and to live for you. May we all learn from Jesus' holy example how we are to live our lives. Help us to serve as he served. Help us to love as he loved, to walk as he walked. May your unending love towards us shape how we love our families, our friends, our neighbours, and all whom you put before us. Help us to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Thank you for sending your son to save us from what our sins deserve. May we never move on from the gospel that saved us. May we never forget the horrors you've saved us from. Keep us grateful. Keep us in your love. Keep us willing and eager to live our lives to your praise and glory. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.